Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the LGBTQ Plus Let's Get Behind the Questions podcast. Before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which this podcast is being recorded and wherever you may be listening today and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I'd also like to pay tribute to our First Nations LGBTQ Plus communities too. So welcome back, Dals. Nice to have you with me today. Thanks, friend. I love being here. I know it's the absolute highlight of your week. I do know that. Now, we recently filmed a super exciting video, which we're planning to release uh, very soon. Nick, can you tell us a little bit more about what this is? What's the big surprise? Yes. Well, because we love our listeners, our VIPLs, our very important podcast listeners, we are giving you a little bit of a sneak peek here, a little bit of exclusive information, if you will. So the video is going to be a hoot and a half, as we would say here. Mm -hmm. uh, it's got a lot of elements that will either be an absolute disaster or an absolute success. From one of my favourite Netflix shows, not Shit's Creek, but nailed it. Um, and in true Woolies fashion, we are pimping up our very own humble Woolies mud cake. Now, Nick, there's also a celebrity involved, and it ain't me, another celebrity. Yes, well, an actual celebrity um, because Excuse we can't me. have... Excuse a me. I am an actual celebrity. Okay. Instagram maybe. Real life questionable, doll. Anyway, we can't have a mud cake hack off without a bit of a competition. So, of course, we're going to be putting Nick to the test against our celebrity guest, Simon Dunn, who's an Australian bobsledder and rugby player and also an ambassador for one of our very new partners that Woolworths is partnering with, the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Yes. Now, I feel you all know me pretty well by now um, and you know that I'm not really capable of doing two things at once. So I, I can assure you it will be one of the funniest and cringiest videos you've seen this year. Um, but we also take the chance to talk about a very important and serious topic as well. Um, and that's about World AIDS Day and our partnership um, with the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Yes. So everyone should keep an eye out for that video coming soon to celebrate our partnership. You can catch it on Google Proud Google Currents, and also it'll be in our support newsletter. And, of course, we'll be sending it via email to all of our allies. Yeah. So today's episode, I just want to touch on this first. So today's episode may contain topics which may be sensitive to some listeners. So please remember that you have access to assist. They can be contacted in Australia on 1300 360 364. And if you're in New Zealand, 0800 360 364. And if you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, you can also contact QLife. They provide Australia-wide anonymous peer support. You can contact them on 1800 184 527, 3pm until midnight every day. Um, and you can also get in touch with them via web chat, which is pretty cool. So just go to qlife.org.au and they're available to chat. Yeah, so we've got lots of channels for you to access help and support, including our new wellbeing app, Sonda, as well. So don't forget about Sonda either. So, Nick, today's topic of convo, what are we talking about on today's podcast? Yes, well, today we will be answering the question, what is World AIDS Day? 
Yes, that's right. So World AIDS Day is commemorated on the 1st of December every year. It raises awareness across the world and in the community about HIV and AIDS. So, Nick, my question for you, my friend, is why is World AIDS Day important to you and why should people have this on their radar? Yeah, so World AIDS Day is important to me for a couple of reasons. Um, I think for me, first and foremost, it's about paying our respects to those who came before us. Um, so it's estimated that 32.7 million people had lost their lives due to AIDS-related illnesses since the epidemic began in the 1980s. Um, so that's, I think that's really important. And the other one um, is just to start having a bit of a conversation about HIV. So there's a real stigma around HIV, and I'd like to see our LGBTQ plus communities come together um, to do their bit to help end this stigma. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, some people might think that, you know, in quotation marks, we don't need to worry about HIV or AIDS anymore because it's 2020. But this is an issue that we all need to be educated and aware of. So with modern day medicine, treatment options had definitely gotten better. And we are very fortunate as to how far this has come. However, there is still no cure for HIV. And although people living with HIV can lead long and normal lives, it is something they need to continue to manage for the rest of their lives. And on top of this, I think there is sometimes a bit of a risk that people can become too relaxed when it comes to HIV prevention and awareness, as is similar with other sexual health issues as well, you know, because we think that we've just got modern medicine that's available to us, so therefore, you know, we don't need to worry about it. Yes, that's right. And to help us understand some of the challenges people living with HIV still face and what we can all do to help end HIV, we have the pleasure of talking to Ruan from the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. Ruan is a person living with HIV and we'll be talking to him about his personal story with HIV and the work he has done and now does with the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. So welcome Ruan to the podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. Um, so Ruan, you wouldn't necessarily know this, but we always like to start the podcast with the same question for all of our guests. So can you please tell us who is Ruan? Yeah, um, certainly. So I'm the programs coordinator at Bobby Goldsmith Foundation. I create programs that facilitate social engagement and upskilling opportunities for our clients. And in my spare time, I do a lot of volunteering for the LGBTIQA plus community, and I'm also a big HIV activist. Um, and I've created a, and rolled out a few of my own awareness campaigns. So in one, for instance, we walked 275 kilometers from Portland to Penola over eight days. And the other one, we walked 300 kilometers from Brussels to Amsterdam over nine days, ending at the International AIDS Conference. Uh, just to keep things um, going, I guess I'm, I'm a, I, I like to be active. I also did Kokoda, the Kokoda Trail with HIV Queensland and started a peer support group in Victoria and Queensland called Hipsters. So instead of Hipsters, it has a V, Hipsters, HIV. And um, just for our audience, Ruan, how do you identify and what are your pronouns? Uh, he, him. Great. So today we're going to be talking about World AIDS Day and HIV. Now, before we get into that, I think it's important to cover off some basic definitions. Um, so let's start with the basics. So what is HIV and what is AIDS? And I know many people might think that HIV and AIDS refer to the same condition. However, they are very different. Um, so could you please explain the difference between the two, Ryan? Yeah, definitely. 
it's it's kind of it, it is a very good question because I've I've come across it a few times where people go, oh, you know, I didn't I don't want to catch AIDS. Like that's quite a uh, a saying that I hear quite often. Now you can't actually catch AIDS. You can catch HIV, which is a virus, um, and only if you remain um, untreated on that virus for an extended period of time, maybe five years plus, um, and your immune system becomes compromised, do you then acquire AIDS or stage three HIV, which is when your immuno your immune system starts to collapse and you start getting AIDS-defining illnesses. Okay, so that is a good clarification. So I guess to wrap that up, the virus is HIV and left untreated, it can progress into AIDS for our audience. Excellent, yes. Perfect. So Ruan, you yourself are a person living with HIV or a PLHIV, as people might have seen the acronym online potentially. So could you tell us a little bit more about your story and, and how HIV became a part of your life? Yeah, certainly. Um, so I obviously got HIV the usual way through through sex, <laughs> um, and yeah, I guess my life sort of started to fall apart straight after that. I went down pretty hard. I had a lot of internalized stigma. So after I became positive, I you know I felt dirty. I felt shamed. I had, I had all the usual things that people who are nearly diagnosed um, have experienced. So I started to withdraw from my social circles. I started to. Um, have trouble at work. I, I, I ended up having to disclose my status at work um, because I, I loved my job and I wanted to know that they're on my side. But um, coincidentally, a month later, I was placed in the performance plan. So they were so freaked out about my new status that they tried to get rid of me. I spent the next three or four months fighting myself out of that performance plan. And when I finally succeeded in getting out of it, I was so angry at the, at the I guess, the organization for what they've done. I, I, I resigned. And I thought, you know, I don't need this in my life. But I guess a series of unfortunate events. Within three weeks, I lost my house. Within two months of that, I was sleeping rough in abandoned houses in Melbourne with my staffie, my puppy, um, and just really went down very hard. Uh, I was trying to get work wherever I could, making coffees and trying to get back on track. And it took maybe about, I don't know, maybe five to six months before I finally had a secure um, place to live again. I had a job and I could slowly start putting my life back together. It sounds really tough, um, and even though it was quite a hard time for me, I did learn a lot from that experience, and I'm and I'm really I'm I'm actually quite fortunate that I that I had the opportunity to learn. Um, it enabled me to step up and and start supporting my community more directly, and and try and support others and help to stop them from ending up where I ended up. I think is a, is a big driving force for me. Um, yeah, and it's given me a lot of empathy for others and understanding of people in their situations. Thanks for sharing that, Ron. Um, now, I, I've, my next question is is all about, um, I guess, the assumptions people might assume um, that AIDS and HIV um, is no longer something that we need to worry about in Australia because obviously um, we're not in the eighties and nineties anymore, and, and things have gotten a lot um, a lot better. Um, but it is still uh, still a problem. Um, so, could you share with us some statistics on the issue in Australia at the moment, um, and maybe? Let's do a little bit of myth, myth busting, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. So there definitely is an assumption out there that HIV and AIDS is over, I guess, not something to worry about anymore, um, but that's definitely not true. So even though we have dropped transmission rates by 74% in the gay or men who have sex with men community, thanks to undetectable viral loads and PrEP, and I'll talk about those two things a little bit later on, 
We are seeing higher transmission rates among other communities like the straight, bi, and culturally linguistically diverse communities. So I think there's a perception out there that HIV is only for the gays, the sex workers, or drug users, and that anyone else doesn't have to worry about it. But but that's not true. You know, it can happen to anyone. And I have many friends who are from one of who are not from the, you know the key populations, I guess, who are living with HIV today. Um, so, Ruan, we know that modern medicine has really done a lot for the AIDS and HIV epidemic, but we also know that currently there is no cure for HIV and people who live with HIV are at an increased risk of additional health complications and challenges. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the challenges um, that people may face and why prevention really is still the key in ending HIV? Yeah, Nick, I think it's important to note that although HIV is no longer, uh, I guess, a death sentence, it's still a life sentence. Yeah? And no one knows um, how positive diagnosis would affect them. So people who are living with HIV who are on treatment can be very healthy, but because of the constant inflammation um, that our bodies are under and the pressure that our bodies are under fighting off quite a serious um, virus, um, we, we age 10 years faster than others, uh, people from the wider community. And we also have an 80% more prone uh, we're 80% more prone to developing cancers. Um, and I think let's not forget having to live with the stigma of being HIV positive. It, it's not an easy life. Um, I'd love to, you know, I, I'll give you some facts about Australia, for instance. In Australia, we have over 28,000 people who are estimated to be living with HIV. Um, and while the main route of HIV notifications continues to be sexual contact between men, over 20% of cases are attributed to heterosexual sex now. Um, women account for more than 10% of all new transmissions of new HIV notifications um, and have been growing among populations such as overseas students, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander people and migrant communities um, and also don't forget heterosexual men and women. Um, the fall in HIV diagnosis is a direct result of community efforts to increase HIV testing, uh, the use of PrEP and undetectable viral loads or the use of HIV treatments. Um, there are a couple of myths around, I guess, with how, how you can um, acquire HIV. So HIV is a bloodborne virus. It therefore cannot be transmitted through spit or kissing, coughing, sharing cutlery, or just by touching someone. For HIV to transmit, you would need blood containing HIV to enter the body through an open wound. It cannot be transmitted through unbroken skin. And there's also a very low risk transmitting HIV through an open mouth or eyes. So there would once again need to be an open wound present where, um, where blood containing HIV and you know, let's hope that the person, and this would mean that the person on HIV is undetectable, um, has to enter for it to transmit successfully. So other than sexually or by having unprotected sex without a condom or PrEP, uh, pre-exposure prophylaxis, um, and assuming a person is not on treatment, it is actually quite hard to do. So only certain body fluids like blood, semen, pre-seminal fluid, uh, rectal fluids, and vaginal fluids, um, and also breast milk, interestingly enough, uh, from a person who has HIV can transmit HIV. There's, a, there's an interesting thing that I always talk about, um, especially when you face a lot of stigma out in the community where they go, oh, you know, you're paused. I don't care if you're on treatment. I'm not going to risk it. And, and there's, a, there's a very big sort of push against the science these days. But in, if you think about it, today we know that having sex with a person who has HIV, knows their status and has an undetectable viral load, so they are on treatment, um, is actually safer than sleeping with someone who may think they are negative or haven't had a test for a while. So now we know that practicing safe sex is really important to the in the prevention against HIV. Um, but there are newer ways to also help with prevention. One of these is PrEP. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about PrEP and some of the other prevention strategies that are available nowadays? 
Uh, yes, Nick. So in the, I guess in the, in the um, health promotion sector, we don't actually call it unprotected sex anymore because uh, PrEP and UVL and condoms are all protection. So we would call it condomless sex. So PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis, as a, is the full name for it, is a fantastic new resource that many people in the gay community already use. It's basically the same as the antiretrovirals that I take, but in a much lower dose, and it stops the virus from taking hold in the body. So by taking one pill a day, you can protect yourself from acquiring HIV if you uh, were to end up in a high-risk situation. Interestingly enough, also PrEP is 98% effective against HIV, where condoms are 91% effective. So you can imagine if you put the two together, how powerful that would be. There is something else that's out there that I find quite interesting, which is called PEP, or post-exposure prophylaxis. It's almost like the morning after pill for HIV. If you go out tonight and you, you, know, you have a bit too much fun and you end up putting yourself in a risky situation uh, and you're not sure whether you've put yourself at risk, you actually have 74 hours to present yourself to a clinic uh, or a hospital um, and they can put you on PEP, which is post-exposure prophylaxis. Once again, it's the same thing as PrEP and um, UV or, or the antiretrovirals, um, but they put you on one pill a day for a month. And that um, has a really high effective rate as well at stopping you from acquiring HIV. It's not a fun thing to go on. I know that a lot of people who've tried it have had upset tummies for a month. And obviously you spend the, ne the next month worrying. So I think um, prevention is always better than, than cure, but it's another option in case something would happen to someone out there and, and, they, and they might be worried that they put themselves at risk. I've never and heard of PEP before, so that's really interesting, Ruan. Of PEP? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, PEP has actually been around for much longer than PrEP, and it's it's amazing how little people actually know about it. Mm. Makes sense, though. I've had to take a few of my friends to a medical clinic or a doctor after big weekends <laughs> to yeah. get them on PEP. But I tell you, they only do it once. <laughs> Yeah, they learn. Um, yeah. Just on prevention strategies, how would someone go about getting testing for HIV? Yeah, so look, you can go and get tested at your local GP. I know in Australia that all GPs would do it. Um, but we also have a couple of great clinics um, in Australia. I know in Sydney, for instance, there's ATEST, which is run by ACOM. And there's Pronto in Victoria. And you can go and they're basically sexual health clinics where you rock up. They, they prick your finger, for instance, and they do a quick pronto HIV test that tests for antibodies, um, and they can do a full sexual health screening. So they can test for HIV, gonorrhea, syphilis, all the sort of sexual health um, or so sexually transmitted infections that are around there and give you a really good, um, a really good insight into where you're at with them. Yeah, thank you. I think it's really important um, for people to be getting regular sexual health screenings. Um, so, Ruan, when someone is diagnosed with HIV, what is their usual treatment plan or what would a kind of average treatment plan look like? And how does someone manage their condition? What, what, would, what would their lifestyle look like? Okay, look, no two people are the same. We, we, we all have unique bodies with unique responses to, to treatments. Um, I guess today we're quite fortunate. A lot of the antiretrovirals are very effective. And for most people, um, you can start by having one pill a day and, um, you know, become undetectable. So for those who don't understand what undetectable is, there's a fantastic thing that's happened to people living with HIV um, thanks to the antiretrovirals. So they test the amount of copies of the virus per mill of blood. And if it's less than 20, you are seen to be undetectable. The beauty behind undetectable is, and this has been endorsed by the United Nations and many researchers around the world, that a person living with HIV who is on effective antiretroviral treatment 
and has a suppressed viral load and undetectable at an undetectable level is effectively uninfectious. Um, so, which is fantastic. That means that I know now that by me taking my one pill a day, I can't pass it on to my partner or any other sexual partners. Um, when you start your journey, um, I guess, of newly diagnosed, I know that in Australia today, we, um, the minute you test positive, they, they, they start you on treatment. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. Uh, I mentioned earlier the inflammation that, that your body can be under. So we know that we're on treatment. It brings down that inflammation, for instance. Um, we know now that being um, on treatment and being undetectable is also a prevention strategy. So we can't pass it on. Um, so it really is the, the, the correct thing to do. The minute you get your diagnosis, they'll start you with treatment and then they'll connect you with any other sort of, I guess, support resources that you might need. Um, it's not as easy for everyone. Well, it's not easy for everyone. In fact, for most people, it's not, it's not easy to, to get over a new diagnosis. So there are a lot of support groups out there and organizations like Bobby Goldsmith Foundation and a few other foundations and um, organizations around Australia where they have newly diagnosed workshops, for instance, that you can go and, and you join this for a weekend and they teach you everything about uh, your diagnosis, you know, the treatment, um, safe sex and disclosure, uh, talking about your status in public, all these kind of things. So there's, there's some amazing resources and support out there for people who are living with HIV. They just need to, I guess, um, reach out and, and, and ask for them. Um, now, Ron, we mentioned before that HIV treatment has come a long way since 1984, which is when the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation was founded. Um, but the need for support still remains today. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about what work the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation do um, and what support support you provide to those um, living with HIV? Yeah, Nick, so Bobby Goldsmith, or BGF as we, um, as we call it in short, is Australia's oldest HIV community-based, uh, sorry, Australia's oldest community-based HIV organisation. Uh, we provide practical, emotional and financial support to all people living with HIV in New South Wales and Australia. So Bobby was actually a, um, a gay Olympian back in the 80s and one of the first Sydney siders to pass away from, from HIV. Um, and his family and friends banded together and started the organisation. So since 1984, BGF has provided practical, emotional, financial um, support to people living with HIV, whether you're young, old, gay, straight, male, female, non-binary, whatever your race, whatever your religion, Bobby Goldsmith is there for you. So we help people to live independently through support in daily activities, such as uh, shopping for groceries or attending medical appointments. Uh, we support people through their financial worries and we provide programs, and that's my job, that I keep our clients socially connected. So even though HIV is changing and, and, and many different communities of people living with HIV need our support, every week we are seeing more people from diverse backgrounds walk through our doors, including Aboriginal for a straight islander, new migrants to Australia and an increasing heterosexual community, as I mentioned earlier. So I guess in, in a nutshell, we provide a safe, open um, and inclusive environment for everyone living with HIV. So our mission is to ensure that all people living with HIV feel welcome and supported. Great. So, um, for the first time this year, Woolworths is actively supporting World AIDS Day, and we're also going to be partnering with the Bobby Goldsmith Foundation to sell the AIDS red ribbons in our Woolworths Metro stores in inner Sydney. So, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the symbolism of the red ribbon and what World AIDS Day is all about? Yeah, definitely. Look, World AIDS Day is... Um I think for me personally, it has, a, it has a few important aspects to it. It's an opportunity for those of us who are living with HIV to remember those who have gone before. 
Um, I won't be here today, popping one pill a day, pretending nothing has happened if it wasn't for them. It's an opportunity for loved ones and family members of those who have passed away to remember them, to take a moment of silence and to think about those who they have lost. But it's also an opportunity for us as a community to all come together and educate each other because education um, is the answer to ending stigma and stigma is the number one barrier to us ending HIV. So it's a very important day on, 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 a, few, on a few different levels. So we always like to end the podcast um, with the same question every time, just like we do start it with the same question. Um, so we always ask um, our guests to leave our listeners with one piece of advice. So what would yours be, Ruan? Ooh, so many things I could say. Look, I think we don't want to scare people. Like, have fun. Enjoy life as much as you can. But remember, it's your body and your responsibility to protect yourself. So it only takes one time and HIV doesn't discriminate. So make sure that every time you walk away from a fun experience, that you have certainty and peace of mind that you did the right thing and get tested every six months for you and your partner's safety. Very practical piece of advice there, Ruan. Thank you very much. And I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast today. I have learned a lot. Um, you're opening my eyes, especially to things that I wasn't aware of, such as PEP, for example, completely not on my radar. So thank you for educating me. Um, and I'm sure that you, our listeners have learned a lot as well listening to today's podcast. So thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your personal story with us as well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I, I really enjoyed today and you know, I love going out and talking to communities and, and getting everyone on the same page. So, yeah, thank you for the opportunity. It was really fun. So I feel like I still have so much to learn in this area when it comes to HIV and AIDS. It's quite a complex topic. And I know this episode was a bit of a longer one than we usually would have, but I think it's a really important and complex topic that we really had to give it the time and space to discuss this issue. This issue. Yes, and I think it could have been a much longer episode. Um, so I am super impressed we got it down to under an hour. Um, but yes, I agree. You know me, Dal, can chat underwater with a mouthful of marbles whilst balancing on one foot. Yes, I know all too well. Thanks, Dals. Um, so what's on our plan um, for our next podcast? Yes. Well, people might not be aware of this, but actually this is going to be our second last podcast for the year. Oh. So next week, it's the last episode in our series of the impact of intersectionality. And we're going to be talking to John, who is a store manager in Big W, and we're specifically going to be discussing what it's like to be an LGBTQ plus person in a regional town. I can't wait to chat to John, but until next time, stay safe, shine bright, and be proud. Hooroo, everybody! Hooroo!